Welcome to Unlocking Empowered Motherhood with Miss Leah. A supportive space for badass moms to help each other tap into our power as mothers and not get lost in the day-to-day struggles of parenting. We're so glad you're here. Hello, so happy you all made some time to visit with me today. I am here with one of my dearest friends, one of my oldest friends. We have been friends since the Ice Age, I believe. Um, My dearest love sister, Amy Havea. Um, I have two of her children at my center right now, and her older one happens to be my godson. And I'm here today with Amy so that we can talk through bedtime and some of the tips and tricks that we have worked out together over the years um, to help her get her four-year-old to be a pretty good bedtime guy. And we thought we could share some of this with our audience. So hello, Amy, and thank you for being here. Hi, so I'm Amy. I am lucky to be one of Miss Leah's best friends. Like she said, we've known each other for 30 million years but actually 30 plus, plus, plus years. <laughs> and um, I don't know where I'd be without her. She's my oldest son's godmother. And both of my kids now go to Kid Time, um, the original location. And I truly, her advice is gold. So, um, you know, settle in with whatever you're drinking and really listen to this podcast. I suggest taking notes. Um, I used to kind of use the notes app in my phone when she'd give me advice um, because it's all really tangible things that I like to remember. That being said, you know, she sort of started coaching me through this hard stuff when my first son was about, well, probably like 15 months. But the first time I really remember is like 18 months, you know, when they're walking and they're verbal um, is Leah's expertise. And um, so he's now almost four. So it's been a while, three years almost. And now I have another son who just turned two. And, you know, as we all know, um, that is like a really fun age and um, gets to be more challenging. So I need a refresher myself. Well, now that Amy has totally flattered me um, terribly, Amy, please, um, why don't you give me an idea of maybe one of your top challenges that you've run into with your two-year-old, and we will go from there. Well, my current two-year-old has not presented too many challenges yet because he's uh, not verbal, so, you know, he hasn't been able to dive into power struggles yet. (laughs) He's not arguing back yet. No, but... My almost four-year-old was very verbal, as you recall, like speaking in full sentences at one. So I remember bedtime was a thing and I was pregnant and did not have patience and tired. And I remember you coaching me through it, through text, through FaceTime, through all the things. And it was just so helpful. I think he was transitioned to a big boy bed in like five days, like record time. Um, Not to say that it wasn't rough, but I'm sure you'll address that, the short-term pain for (laughs) long-term gain. But um, yeah, I would say bedtime. If you can just refresh my memory on how you got me through that, that would be great. So with bedtime, as with any transition, I think there are some 
super basic things that always help. Um, and one of them is having a solid routine. So the first thing I would say is try to do the same thing every day at the, in the same way as much as you can. Definitely, it's not possible to always do that. But if you have a general basic routine daily, then your child knows what to expect and they don't push back as often. So if you're thinking about a routine in terms of knowing that you know what is coming next as an adult, I think that helps us to kind of reframe things a little bit when you imagine that kids are kind of constantly being told what's happening and dragged to the next place and we don't often stop and ask them, um, you know, is this even something you want to be doing? Um, and of course with things like bedtime, it's not really an option, but the best thing that we can do is make them feel like they have some options. So one thing that I always recommend with any transition is giving two simple choices. Would you like to walk to the car or would you like a piggyback ride? Would you like to read a story on the couch or read a story in your bed? Either way, your outcome is going to be the same thing. And um, it gives them a little bit of a sense of options. So they don't just feel dragged or um, pulled into the next place that maybe they don't want to be. Yeah, I remember that clearly. You saying that he needed to feel some sense of control because he, and also he was so little when we transitioned him to a big kid bed and started that kind of more, you know, advanced, as I would say, bedtime, you know, more than just sticking your kid in the crib and, you know, best of luck. Mm -hmm. um, just kidding. We never did that. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when things got trickier, you emphasized giving him choices. So all the way through the bedtime routine, I did that. Do you want to take a bath or do you want to take a shower? Do you want to wear these pajamas or those pajamas? Do you think you want one story or three stories? And I remember you telling me like as many possible choices as I can put in his hands, you know, was better. And it really, really, really is so effective. It's like, it's almost stupid how effective it is. So that when you get to the part that's not their choice, which is bedtime, you are going to sleep now. Um, it's, you know, less, I don't know what the word is. It's less like ripping off the Band-Aid and more like, we all knew this was coming. We gave you lots of choices along the way. I've been respectful to you. I've listened to you. I've done the things you have asked. And now it's my turn. And you're going to listen to me and head to bed now. And we'll have tomorrow to play. Okay, so this is all real cute when we're saying it in the podcast. But when the kid then, you know, you put them down in their bed. We all know they're not just like, mwah, mwah, good night. And if you do have that kid, you're, you know, it's a trick. Um, no, just kidding. That's awesome. But anyway, the re that's when the power struggle started for me, and I'm sure for a lot of the people listening. So you put them in the bed, you give them a kiss goodnight, you, you know, do whatever it is you do, turn on the nightlight and close the door or don't, and walk away. And, you know, 30 seconds to maybe five minutes, if you're lucky, later, pitter-patter, pitter-patter, mom... And so now what? What do you do? So now is when the follow through really comes in because your word is mud if you don't follow through. If you make a direction, give a, um, a choice, and now you have to um, complete that choice and you don't, you go back in and lay with him or you get him a popsicle 
or you let him sit on the couch with you for a little while, or you get him seven more glasses of water or 15 more kisses goodnight. All that is doing is telling him that the more that I push, the more I'm going to get. And it's, I think it's a hard thing for parents to understand because they, the kids, you know, our children pull at our particular heartstrings, right? Like their cry, you feel the cry when you're a new, new mom and, you know, literally they cry and your boobs start leaking and start getting <laughs> sore. Like they have this biological advantage over us and we need to know that going in and be ready for that. What they need from you is not the water, the 17 more kisses. What they need from you is the boundary that you are setting for them. And I remember you hammering that home to me because he was so little, in my opinion, um, (laughs) when we started this whole thing. And he was, I mean, he was a baby, like a chubby diaper wearing baby. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he would come and need things or cry and just look so distraught because really what, you know, of course he needed was me. You and I would, you know, text you or FaceTime. You would be like, help, you know, sometimes probably in tears because I was pregnant and emotional. And you would say, look, you are not giving him extra love by giving him these things he needs or the attention or the extra hugs or the laying with him. That's not giving him love. What's going to give him the extra love and help and what he needs to be, you know, a happy, well-adjusted kid is consistent bedtime where he goes to bed and gets the amount of sleep he needs to be a functioning human the next day. And where I get, you know, what I need, which was, you know, time to myself at night um, for me to be a better functioning mom um, the next day. Um, So that I remember felt like huge for me was you giving me not only permission, but like direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, no, Missy, like you are not traumatizing him. You're not, you know. I definitely... um remember those times and talking you through those times. And one thing I want to point out is that you're saying a lot things like he needed me. Um, and actually I would, I would adjust those, that phrasing and say, he wanted you. He wanted more time with you. He wanted to cuddle all night. He wanted you by his side. What he needed was in fact what you said. He needed a good night's sleep. He doesn't know what he needs because he's two you know what he needs. So I think that parents really need to find this empowered place. And I cannot say it enough times. Boundaries make children feel safe. Without boundaries, you will see that children will ramp up their behavior. They will test you even harder because they want to know, are you going to stop me? Are you going to let me jump off that cliff, mama? Or are you going to say, no, honey, that's not safe. I need you to come back here. What your body needs is to not fall off that cliff. So whether the cliff is bedtime, it's having dinner, what have you, you as the parent have to set that tone. You have to be the one that guides that conversation. And as much as their cries crawl into your psyche and make you feel horrible, your job is not to make your child happy and smile all the time. Your job is to help them to make good choices that are good for their bodies, to help them to um, uh, have good follow through so that they have a feeling of safety 
and so that they can create their own coping skills as they get older. You're can not, I interrupt you for please. a second? Yeah. Okay. So what about the time <laughs> or the times where I was a million months pregnant or you're, or, you know, you don't have to be pregnant. You're, you're a working parent, a stay-at-home mom, someone who's just at the end of your rope, at the end of the stick. And you, it's just easier. I just, like, need the kid to shut the F up right now because <laughs> the screens are literally giving me a physiologically horrible response. Mm-hmm. And it is making me, like, fight or flighty. And I just need him to stop. So what it like come So on. you're asking is it better to just placate it in the moment because you're gonna lose your actual mind? Like I mean I know your answer. I know the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you like like what do you suggest? I can't remember, but I remember you saying something to me and I can't remember what it was <laughs> that was priceless, like me, you know, texting you being like, I am about to lose my actual mind. Can I just go lay with him right now or, you know, do whatever he was he needed? I probably said it's your funeral. If you want to go right ahead. I mean, it's just it's going to make your job harder in the long run. Um, I definitely think there's something to be said. I think you said earlier the um, short term pain for long term gain. It is so much easier to fight these battles when they're little and to start setting the patterns when they're little than it is to wait until they're 7, 8, 9, 12, 14, 17, <laughs> 45. <29. laughs> I look at it like I'm I'm not raising a child and I'm not raising a baby. I am raising a person. And I want to equip my person to be a person other people want to be around when he's older. And my goal and hope is that I have set the boundaries such as he can learn from those boundaries as he gets older and begin to create his own. So I think that, you know, the the fight or flight moment, you know, it's easy to say, get some help and tag out. But if you have a spouse that can step in and help you, those are the moments where it's like, hey, your turn. Come on in here. I'm going to step out because my boobs are hurting now. I'm like (laughs) feeling like a terrible mother and all the things, bad things are happening, happening physiologically. That is, you want to get out of there and let somebody else do the follow through, but the follow through has to happen. And in my opinion, it is so much more worth it to fight that battle now than to wait until they're seven, eight, nine, ten. Not, not to say that you still can't set boundaries for older children and you should. And if you're listening to this and think, gosh, I've always been really permissive. Maybe that's why it's so hard. Um, You know, then revisit this with yourself and see if there's, um, I I think, uh, I won't say I think, I know that many moms are really wrapped up in the people pleasing and we want to keep the kid quiet, keep them happy, maybe keep our spouse happy. And at the end of the day, you didn't sign up to make everybody happy. You signed up to raise a functional human being who will have to function around other human beings. And believe it or not, childhood is very short. 18 years goes by in the blink of an eye. I see friends that I used to work with in kid time that are 25 years old now, and they're functional adults. And I think I'm, I'm happy to see that they have figured out how to do their own boundaries because, you know, you look at these kids when they're little and it's like, oh, what are you going to be like? 
you know, and I'm happy to report that, you know, they're all doing pretty well. But I, I, it's not because we were so permissive that we let them run the show. The inmates cannot run the asylum, you guys. The parents right. really do need to take control. And I hate to put the uh, pressure on the moms, but I'm going to because I'm a realist. And in real life, 99% of the time, we are doing those extra things. We are making sure there's milk in the fridge. We are making sure there's dinner on the table. We're making sure that bills are getting paid and, and the garbage went out and all the things. And, you know, it's important to be able to lean on your spouse, but it's also important to have your own really firm backbone when it comes to your kids so that they don't really take advantage of that physiological response that your body will naturally give them. Yeah. And I also, now that we're talking about this, vividly remember you like saying something that made me feel really empowered, um, which was like you first of all, you can't really mess this up, right? Because we're all kind of perfectionists. And I kept feeling like I'm messing this up. I'm messing this up. You know, I'm doing it wrong. And you assured me that, you know, if I stuck to my boundaries and, you know, just kept being consistent night after night, that I couldn't mess it up, even if there were little what I perceived as missteps along the way. And I remember like one particularly hard night at bedtime like kind of melting down to you and you saying like, just stop. Like you can take a breather. This isn't a performance. You know, you're not on stage. Mm -hmm. Like you can stop bedtime, take whatever time you need to like gather yourself. If he's dysregulated, maybe he's gathering himself, whatever that looks like and start over. Like take a reset. Yep. Absolutely. And that was so empowering. It wasn't, Because I just felt like, oh, man, like, I already gave in, whatever it was, whether, you know, you know, I let him come out too many times, I gave him the extra water, what I don't remember, you know, that was forever ago. But um, I remember you making me feel really empowered by reminding me that, you know, all's not lost. And you can just restart the bedtime, reset the boundaries, remind them that you're not going to give in. Which, okay, so that brings me to a question, because my two-year-old, I can already tell, um, is a little more, um, I don't know what the word is, like, I hate the word stubborn, hate it, but that's kind of what I mean. Strong-willed. Strong-willed, yep. He's a little more strong-willed than the other kiddo, and I can sense that the same boundaries I set for him, um, the same amount of times, may not work as well. He might... um, you know, push back really hard against them. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Like, it, should I, like, sort of start implementing punishments? Should I say, like, look, if you don't stay in your bedroom, this is now the 10th time you've come out. Like, what, you don't get to go to the pumpkin patch tomorrow? I'm taking away your toys. Like, do you believe in punishments? And, like, how do you implement them? I honestly find punishing children in that way under probably six years old to be very unhelpful. Um, You have to think of it as he's not doing something bad. He's doing what he is developmentally built to do. He is built at this age to start testing you. Your younger one is testing you even without words. He has figured out how to do that. Your older son at that time had words and tested you that way. And it will get a little bit more heavy testing as you get into the threes. Um, and, um, how come he didn't come out of me with like a note that 
let me know this was going to happen. <laughs> I know. It's so rude. <laughs> so rude. I feel like the, lo- the notes get lost in the fallopian tubes oh or something. Gosh. They just, they don't. Nobody told me. No, they don't tell you this stuff. They really don't. But, but, you know, stop thinking of it as he's doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You punish someone when they do something mean, bad, terrible, nasty. You don't punish someone when they do what is developmentally appropriate. If your son was, you know, growing, you wouldn't be upset at him for it. You'd say, <laughs> well, great job. I'm glad you're eating your vegetables or whatever. You know, he is, they are extremely good at their job. Um, testing is completely 100% normal. And what is a te- what is testing about? Think about it. Think about when you were... Well, okay, I, this is dangerous territory. Let's think about when we were both in high school oh God. and we tested all of the authority. What were we really trying to get at? I wasn't really trying to like drop out of school or something. I was, I was, safety. I truly wanted to see, is yeah. anybody going to stop me? Yeah. Is anybody going to notice you that I've ditched someone. class again? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that had, that is a, a very normal uh, behavior um, that's more of a teenage version, but this is the same. Are you going to keep me safe? Are you going to follow through? You said this, do you mean it? Right. Do you mean it enough to really follow through? Because if you don't, I'm going to show you what's going to happen and I'm going to test you even more. So I think if you, if you view it as th- these are normative behaviors, um, and, and obviously we're talking about, um, neurotypical children um there's all kinds of other advice i would give you know for spectrum or um other types of issues but we're talking about heteronormative and heteronormative (laughs) we're talking about normative behaviors in um in in general general speak here so i think just that follow-through is so key they are just begging you to tell them no sometimes they are begging you to say you know what here is the boundary I mean, if you think about adult life, right, if you had friends that you said, you know, I I love you, but can you please always call before you come over? I just, I really don't like when people just come over without, you know, telling me they're coming first. And that friend always just stops by. There's a point where you're like, hey, you are not adhering to the boundaries that I have set. And this is where it starts. (laughs) <laughs> this is where it starts. Okay, if no you pressure. think about, well, no, I mean, that's why it's great that you're already thinking this way. Think yeah. about adults that you know that have no boundaries. So there many. are so many of them. How do you think that happened? Yeah. Do you think right. that happened because they had good follow through and they knew that, you know, their parents were going to keep them safe no matter what? No, it happened because they got away with bloody murder and they probably developed some narcissistic, narcissistic tendencies and they were reinforced because they felt that they always could have their way. So as much as we want our children to be happy and well-adjusted, those are two different things. Happy in the moment is very different from being a well-adjusted child. All right, now that I asked you that, you reminded me of, um, like, so when we started the whole bedtime thing, because it was kind of like a very clear start because we had taken away the crib, I remember now, and he was too young to even, you know, think about punishing. Um, but I remember now, and it's so I'm guessing your advice is the same for a three, four, five, six-year-old. Um, you saying, like, yeah, this might take two hours, and you're just mm-hmm. going to have to do it. And it sure did. It took two and a half hours the first night. 
And I remember celebrating with you when he finally went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I remember you telling uh, Miss Jessica at kid time, like, she did it, she did it, she listened, she did it. (laughs) And the next night, I want to say it didn't take that long, but it did. It took like two hours, a little bit less. And the next night, it took an hour. And the next night, it took 45 minutes. And the next night, it, it took 20. The whole thing took, I think, like really a week or 10 days. Which, when you're in it, feels like for seven years effort. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Then I was whatever it was, seven months pregnant, and he was eighteen months, and he went to bed like a dream. He really did. We really only struggled with him when he was sick, which of course that's um, different, totally. And I remember having to ask you about that. Like, shoot, he's got an ear infection. Like now, now what? I do. But um, but truly, like after we stuck it out. Um, it was so easy and he was a dream at bedtime. Yeah. I think it's, it's really, there's something to be said for knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. And that is just full circle from the beginning of the conversation, setting the expectation, letting them know what the schedule is and the routine is and following through and having it be the same every day. Um, if, if your children are at kid time, uh, we use, very particular language. We do the choices. We do the I need statements. We're really consistent with the follow through. So all of that is going to be familiar to your child. If you start employing some of these techniques, it's not like they've never seen it before. All day, every day, your children at school are minding, listening to teachers, following the rules, you know, doing all the things because they know what the clear boundary is and what is expected of them. And if that's not being followed, then we have a conversation separately, or maybe we redirect them or show them another way. But when it comes to specifically bedtime um, or any any transition that is, we have to do this now, you know, we can lead up to it. I always like to give them um, a heads up, let them know, hey guys, uh, you know, 10 minutes, we're going to start getting ready for bed. You know, maybe even set a time or something that so they can see. Um, and don't be surprised, you know, if they're in the bedroom and they're mad and calling you again and you don't come back and they throw a big tantrum. You know, we've done a podcast episode about tantrums. <laughs> that is all normal also. I wouldn't expect that they wouldn't. Um, but there again, what to what end? You know, what what do they get out of it is really what matters. What is your reaction? Ooh. You just reminded me of like the biggest thing you've ever taught me, which I actually think deserves a whole podcast. Like literally that might need to be your next one. <laughs> um, what, so what sticks in my mind, and maybe this isn't always possible for the way everyone's homes are set up, but you always told me control the environment, not the toddler. Mm-hmm. So I remember after the first hard night where he destroyed the room with his you know, reactions, I took everything out of the room except the mattress, I think maybe a nightlight that he could not reach, the baby monitor, which he could not reach, and like, you know, whatever, one other thing, I can't remember exactly what, Mm -hmm. which made the next night so boring Mm -hmm. for him. There's nothing to do. There's the bed that he can sleep on, and I remember now, I'm really cute, I'm remembering him passing out like on the edge of the bed like not even on the mattress and mm-hmm. sending you a picture like well <laughs> he fell asleep he fell asleep it's not in the bed but he sure is sleeping so the control the environment not the toddler thing applies to like everything now that we do um and, yeah and that's you know, very different from what you were talking about with punishment 
punishment would have been. Right. You're screaming and yelling, so I'm taking your stuff. No, and, no, this and now we're up to a different him. level, and it's no. a whole. This is a this whole is different animal. You're talking daytime. about swooped yeah. it out while he's not paying attention. Absolutely. Set up yourself for success. Set him up for success. Yes. And that is definitely uh, that's an excellent methodology. Anytime that you can control the environment, you're never going to control a child. You're never going to control a person. We really shouldn't be trying to control people. We should really be trying to be respectful, set our own boundaries, and be um, mindful that, you know, you're setting him up to do this for himself down the road. This is eventually these, these lessons kind of sink into you. Amy, this is so much fun, and I'm afraid, knowing us, that we could talk all night long. So I will um, have to end the podcast here, but I'm so grateful that you came on and that you were willing to share um, some of your personal stories with us. It's always helpful, and I think, you know, normalizing all of this is really a big goal of mine. Um, I think I don't know a mom out there who doesn't feel like the worst mom there is at least once a week. Um, And I just really would like to try to cultivate a culture where we don't do that to ourselves. We are working really hard. We are doing the best we can. These kids keep throwing us curveballs. The world keeps throwing us curveballs. And by the way, we're responsible for every ever-loving part of our lives, are we not? So please give yourselves some grace, a pat on the back, some self-care, a little hug, And um, I thank you for listening, but thank yourself for taking some time to try to look at things from a different perspective. I think all of this um, philosophical stuff that I'm trying to impart is what makes me understand the children better. And it makes me work with them better and feel more capable and even with my own child as a mom. So I hope that it helps you as well. And I look forward to another episode. Thank you all and have a wonderful day.